Okay, well, thank you very much for coming along to our penultimate evening together. So we've almost made it through, and uh, and I'm sure you'll find this evening really encouraging. Um, but I, I just want to start by saying that I, I hope you really enjoyed last week's study and just dwelling in God's plans for us and just spending a time and not pushing on too fast and and looking at what we have to do with our life, but rather just um, denying our natural tendency to push on and just resting in God's love for a while and just resting in the thought that he has good plans for us and and he just wants the best for us. And I found that a, a very refreshing study. I really enjoyed doing it. And it's really important that that study is the basis of tonight's study because tonight we're going to be looking at the way that God desires to use us um, to use the gifts that he's given us uh, to glorify himself in this world and it's important that we are first established in him we're established in his love we're established in his spirit and that he can then work through us it's not something that we do and the thought that God works through us should be completely mind-blowing to us as as individuals the thought that the sovereign god the god who made the heavens and the earth would choose to work through us when he's got so many means at his disposal he's got legions of angels he can call upon he can put thoughts directly in people's heads he can move mountains if he chooses to he can he can write on walls as he did in the old testament but yet he chooses to work through us. And that should be completely mind-blowing to us. And not only is that incredible, but we should be just awestruck by the honour of that. You know, if the Prime Minister got on the phone and said, I need your skill set, I need you as an individual to do this job for me, we would be honoured, wouldn't we not? to do that for someone powerful in this world. Well, the God of the universe gives us the honour of serving him. And it's doubly mind-blowing, I think, for the person who suffers from depression. Firstly, it's completely staggering that God would choose to use us. And secondly, it's just a miracle that he can. (laughs) Yes, amen. So it's mind-blowing that he would choose to use us and then it's a miracle that he actually can use us because we're often um, suffering and stubborn and, and, and uh, caught up in, in the things that are, that are um, overwhelming us and yet God still has a means of using us, even us who are so full of introspection and insecurity he is able to use and what a privilege it is and who can really understand it so in the survey we found that 50 percent of people reported that one of their reasons for hoping god was because they could see god working through them that's an amazing statistic 50 percent of christians who suffered from depression were encouraged by the fact that they could see God working through them. That doesn't mean that they go to church and they see God working outside of them. It means that God is actually using them and they can see it. And that gives them hope. 
of course, to see that God is working through them. Now, I hope you understand that that's a real miracle. And in this world that um, sort of poo-poos the idea of faith entirely, uh, it's sort of okay if you've got faith in the universe or faith in karma or faith in something vague or, you know, the aliens. But to have faith in Christ is really odd in this world. And people think we're strange. And yet, Christians in despair, Christians who are feeling overwhelmed, are receiving hope from the fact that God is actually working through them. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have success, most of the times when I have what I might think of as success, my pride tends to um, follow fairly quickly on. One of the things I like about depression, <laughs> and there's not many things I like about depression, is that it shortens that period of time between feeling good about yourself, feeling proud, and realising that if God did anything, it was a miracle. You know, if it was clearly him because it certainly wasn't me. And uh, I find that really encouraging. Now, just as a... Now, all Christians go through that, right? All Christians have the pleasure of being used by God and seeing God work in them. And then they have the temptation of pride uh, when God actually does work through them. It's, uh, it's that cycle we see in the Old Testament, that blessing is inevitably followed by humanity's pride and the urge to say, look what I did. But when you really see God work... It, it can often have the opposite effect. It can be somewhat humbling, even humiliating. And I was reminded of a cousin of mine who was in a Pentecostal church about 15 or 20 years ago. And it was a, it was a go get em kind of a very alive, uh, powerful church. And they decided to go on a mission trip uh, into India. And when they came back, I was speaking to my cousin, and and he was quite subdued. And I said, you know, you know, tell me about it. And he said, well, it was amazing. I saw people healed right in front of me. He said, I saw a man who had a completely withered hand, and it was healed as I watched and I said how did that make you feel he said it was actually a bit humiliating and I was kind of thinking what what you know I'd be feeling like dancing in the street look at this miracle and he said it's actually humiliating and I said what do you mean and he said well Watching God work, it was so obviously him. So obviously not me, not us. Nothing we did. Nothing. That God's power was just exerted in that way. It was kind of humiliating. And I, and I thought to myself about the attitude of his church but I thought about my attitude you know that 
that we often think when we're serving God that we're bringing something to the table, you know, that we're bringing our skills. And sometimes we might even be tempted to think that God is lucky to have me. I'm, I'm often aware that when I look at non-Christians and I think about the, why, why God, why, why it would be good, God, for that person to come into the kingdom, the skills that they might bring, God doesn't need their skills. He doesn't need my skills. And when God really demonstrates his power, it is so obviously him and not us that there there can be some uh, sense of humiliation in it. Depression helps us to, uh, to deal with that pride a little bit. It's a miracle that God is glorified at all in our lives. So we're going to look at some verses uh, with regards to the way God works through us. Let's start with uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 11. If someone would like to read that for us. If anyone ministers, they can do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Okay, so if we start at the end, we see that all of the glory belongs to Jesus. Right, and that's a really important starting point for our acts of service. All of the glory belongs to him. But we just see this beautiful simplicity in the fact that we are to serve with the ability that God supplies. And that's a really simple starting point for our acts of service. We serve with the ability that God supplies. Sometimes we have a notion that God might want us to do things far, far beyond ourselves. But I think normally he requires us to do the things that are just in front of us with the ability that he's already given us to do, do it. It's a very lovely thing. And the ability that God supplies can often feel very limited. And if you struggle with depression, you can might you might feel that it's not just limited, it's a completely empty pot, right? There is nothing here to give. But God always provides what he calls you to do. He gives you the strength to do it, however limited that is. And this isn't a, a bad thing as far as God's concerned. You'll remember the story of the lady with the single coin. She donated and Jesus said, look, at the faith of her. And sometimes we just have a little bit to give. We, we seem like we only have a small amount of ability, but God is very glad to use that. But with regards to this aspect of how little we have to give, and yet God is doing things around us all the time, Depression has given me something that I'm also a little bit grateful for, a little bit grateful for, and that is a sensitivity to what he's doing and an incredible joy when I actually see him work because I don't expect it and I feel like it's an incredible privilege to even see him work. So not only does he work, sometimes that work is through us, but the fact that we we have the privilege of seeing it is is a really profound thing to me and i i find myself often just really glad 
you know, when I when I see love overcome bitterness, and my family can testify that, I, you know, I cry at the drop of a hat, and you know, I the old joke that you know a, a television commercial comes on, where, you know, family's being reunited by Telstra or something, and Chris is crying and has to remove himself from the room so he can go and blubber in private, um, but. But when I see real love, when I see um, love overcoming bitterness and forgiveness, when I see acts of boldness like our young folks playing the drums or making God-glorifying videos, when I see meals made for people and, and words of encouragement given to the brokenhearted in our fellowship, when I see people in our fellowship praying for each other, when I see the chairs being stacked away and tables being cleaned, when I see our pastor painting the walls, well, I don't see him doing that because I'm probably at home having a beer while he is working um, here for us. But when I come in and I look at our beautiful church that, that he's put so much effort into, I'm very touched by that. When people report to me, Chris, this morning's sermon was fantastic. You've got to listen to it. I'm blessed by that. And and when I just see these acts of kindness and love in our fellowship, I'm just really, really touched. And I find that the older I get, the more I cry because I just see those things quite frequently. And they're, they're very... And we don't deserve to see those things. They're, they're incredible testimonies to the way God works in people's life. Now, as we look at the way that God has equipped us to do good works, I discussed last week this idea of being saved to serve, and I and I said, yes, it's true, but a few things have to come first. But the fact is, as we go into tonight's study, that even if F does follow A, there does there is an inevitability to the fact that if God is alive in us, works will be done by us his spirit will work through us there is an inevitability to that that we will serve him we will love others with the love that he has given us but i want to make the point right up front particularly in the area while we're thinking about depression that this is a light burden it's not a heavy burden when we're thinking about serving God my heart can sometimes sink before I even know how he wants me to serve him right some of that is a a, a mistrust of God that I think he's going to do something diabolical like you know just uproot my whole life and just turn it on its head like that might be a fun thing to do but God doesn't normally work like that there's normally a progression Um, If God wants to really move you on, there's normally a progression towards that. And and more often than not, God is placing before us burdens that he will have fellowship with us in, in carrying. So we know the verse in Matthew 11, "'Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.'" 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes Christian service seems to become very heavy for people. And there are times and seasons. I I understand that. I I was aware uh, some years ago of, uh, in a completely separate fellowship, uh, two hours, uh, a minister who would say, oh, God's hand is heavy upon me. And he kept on saying this to a friend of mine, God's hand is heavy upon me. And both of us were quite sort of disturbed by that and thinking, well, God's hand isn't heavy upon you. God's hand will be uplifting you unless there's sin in your life, which you need to repent of. Um, God says that he will carry your burden, not place a bigger burden upon you. So I'm not saying that our life is going to be easy and that acts of service are easy. And I'm not saying that there'll be no cost to count. There often will. And the, and the world may, may come against us in, in terms of our desire to serve Jesus. And they may seek to place a heavy burden upon us. And we count the cost of doing those things. But when it starts to bear heavily on your soul, this is not something that God intended for you. He intends to take the burden from your soul and walk with you in carrying the burden. So that's just an important thing. If if you're feeling overwhelmed, well, practice giving it to Jesus. Practice handing it over. Now in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we, we have this passage that we know well because it it underlines a lot of the activities of Bible teaching churches. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the man of God may be equipped, that the man of God may be uh, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so it's just a basis of of our walk that we be planted in his word, that we be abiding in him and growing in him and established in the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God comes through his word. Now, Satan will come against us, and the way we saw to resist Satan is through God's word, to know God's word. So it's really important that that's at our our base. It's our foundation. So Hebrews 13, um, and I'm going to ask you for some help here pulling out the main points of relevance for the study of the way God uses us. So Hebrews 13, uh, 20 and 21. Would someone like to read that for us? Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so with relevance to our work and the work that God has called us to, what points do we see in this verse? These two verses. Um, he makes you complete. Yes, he makes good us com- complete in every good work. 
Okay, so he, he provides what we need, right, to do it. What else can we see? And, and in, in doing that, uh, we're doing his will. Indeed, we are doing his will. Yep, very important. He's working that in be pleasing. Yeah, so it will be pleasing to him, and he is working in us. Now, that's a really interesting thing, that when we're talking about external works... God is doing an internal work in us, right? And that's a very critical part. It's, a, it's an outward manifestation of what God is doing in our hearts. He's moving our spirit and we are following him in, in obedience. What else do we see? What, what name is given to God here? Or what? He guides us. Yeah, yeah, he guides us. But we see in the beginning the God of peace. Now, why is that important? when we're thinking about our works. Yep, we can trust him and he doesn't want us to be stressed about it. Yep, really important. Exactly right. He's the centre of it. Remember the Joshua verses. You know, and to Moses he said, stand still and watch me work. You know, there's this element where we just have a trust and a peace that God is with us. What else do we see? The great shepherd. The great shepherd. So he's leading us into it, isn't he? He's leading us into the into the works that he's called us to do. And he protects us while we do it. He does. Now, how are you picking that up? Well, he's a shepherd. A shepherd protects the sheep. Yes, he does. The shepherd protects the sheep. And through the blood of the everlasting covenant. I love that because it's the ultimate protection. It's the protection of our soul. It's the protection of our very being that he has created. We are in his blood. Okay, so we we see these really beautiful um, principles that we we have peace at the centre. We operate. Ah, what did he do? He brought Jesus up from the dead. This is an important principle. We operate in resurrection power. We have been risen with him. Okay, we're led by Christ. We're unable to do his will. He's working in us and he's working through us. Really profound. Now, I was really, really enjoyed reading about Martin Luther some years ago, and I've brought you a couple of little stories about him as we go. But one of the big picture things that stunned me about Martin Luther. Now, you might, you might remember the beginning of his story. He, he was a monk. Um, his family had other, other plans for him. I think they wanted him to go to law school or something like that. He had a big brain. But he was um, frightened by a thunderstorm, almost killed by lightning. And, and he said to God, if I survive, I'll give my life to you. And he survived and he went into ministry. He became a monk. And he then started studying. And then as he studied in his single-minded kind of way, um, he became aware that there were certain practices in the, in the Catholic Church at that time which were just not right. In fact, they were evil. But Martin Luther started seeing in Scripture clearly things like selling indulgences to the people. So we're talking 1517, where the Catholic priests would go town to town and say, 
by giving us money, you will spend less time in purgatory. And you could buy your family into heaven. Exactly right. So with cash, you could buy your family into heaven, and the, and the money was going straight back to the Pope. Right? The Vatican was being built on this. Right? Money from all over the, the Catholic world coming in through these selling of indulgences. This was just one thing that was going on. Now, God, by his sovereignty, raises up a monk right on the edge of the Catholic Empire. And I'm just convinced that if he was closer to Rome, he would be dead. They would have killed him in a flash. Right? But he was far enough out where he was just escapable from them and the German government at the time was starting to get sick of the oversight of the Catholic Church. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I could talk about Martin Luther all night. He posts 95 theses on the doors of the church. And this was a common sort of way of raising debate or, or starting a conversation. But he has written a mini encyclopedia. 95 points of disagreement with the church, theological disagreement. And as I read the rest of his story, I thought, you never, ever would have done that if you knew what was going to follow. Because he was a timid kind of guy at the start. And what followed was the complete splitting of the Catholic Church. In the next couple of decades, that's what happened. The Reformation happened... And the, the, the church split, and it was a huge task that he never would have started if he had known the full journey. But by God's grace, he doesn't show us the full journey. The next step you take in serving him might be the first, or it might be the last. It might be the middle step to a journey and you haven't even recognised the other ones you've taken so far or somebody else might have walked the first steps and you're taking the next few and then somebody else will take over. We don't know and it is by God's grace that we don't know because it would be completely overwhelming. He had people trying to kill him. He had the church excommunicate him. His own friends had to kidnap him to protect him. Right, they were so worried about him being killed, they kidnapped him and locked him in a castle. While he was in that castle, he translates the Bible into German, just, you know, in your spare time, because you just happen to know Greek. Greek to German. Yeah, Greek to German and, and Latin to German. Right, so he does these amazing works as as further steps down his journey that he never would have taken if he had known the whole what was going to unfold. So we should never be burdened by taking that first step. It might be the first, it might be the last. We don't know. Just follow Jesus into it. But it is, as with Martin Luther's story, it is a basic principle that the good works that God wants you to do and he's calling you to do, he will equip you to do. And that by no means means that you're going to feel up to the task. And if you did, no faith is required, right? God calls us to exercise our faith, which normally means we're going to be called to something that is beyond our comfort zone, outside of our skill set, or beyond what we see our skills to do.
and he is going to give you the strength and other resources to do it. And, you know, some of you know just the last three months or so for me preparing to do this course and the last eight weeks for me or seven weeks for me, I have found really tough, right? And there's many times I've really wanted to give up. I, I, you know, I, I would, <laughs> I would um, you know, gladly... Um, shrink back in many ways but people have encouraged me there's been some righteous bullying from some of my brothers and sisters who have told me to get on with it there's been some reminders of God's faithfulness along the way some of you folks have told me of of how verses have come to your mind or how you've really benefited from these evenings together and those things have kept me going now perhaps I shouldn't need all that encouragement Perhaps I shouldn't need all of your help, but I do. And God is glad to give it. Right? Other people can just power on in their strength. I don't have I don't have that strength, right? And God says my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So if he gets the glory, fantastic. And if that means you walk out of here bewildered with the weak vessel, fantastic. May he get the glory. Give it to him. Okay. But God has created you to do good works. So we're going to read a passage here in Ephesians, which we read the first half of last week. And now we're going to read uh, a little bit further and get some more some more ideas. If someone would like to read first Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so last week we saw the beginning of this passage that God desires through Jesus to demonstrate the exceeding riches of his loving kindness towards us. This is a, a fundamental principle of our salvation. He just wants to demonstrate his love. But the second half of this passage moves into a dialogue about our faith and works. And Paul is really quick to point out that we can't even feel proud about our own salvation. Because God has done it. And he's actually given us the faith to have faith in him. It is awesome because it means that without Jesus, we are all completely in the same empty boat. You know, we've got no merit before God. All, every human on this planet. And it is completely by his mercy that we are saved, which is such a fundamental thing for our works of evangelism. That we understand that we are no better off. We're no not superior without Christ to anyone. It is only because he chooses 
us to be his kids and makes us his children, that we are his children. We are his workmanship, it says. It goes on to say, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So verse 10 is really fascinating, and I I hope as you read it, you feel a real ease in your spirit. We are his workmanship. God himself is the craftsman who's forming us and moulding us according to his will and for our benefit. Okay, so this is a really, really great thing. He is moulding us and forming us for his will and for our benefit. And we are raised into new life. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's a very profound thing. We do have a purpose in this. We are made in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, a couple of years ago, I heard a... uh, an interview with uh, James Morrison, the famous Australian trumpeter. And now I think he was, he's the son of a pastor, maybe a Lutheran pastor, but I, I think his dad was a pastor. And he grew up knowing that he was born for music. He knew he was skilled in that way. And he never, never doubted it. And he was asked... He was playing the trumpet live at the Sydney Olympics in front of a billion people. Right? <laughs> now, I don't know. Uh, some of us are more comfortable with public speaking than others. Some people really hate it. I'm fairly comfortable with it. But a billion people watching you play music? And they asked him, was he nervous? And he said... No, why would I be nervous? This is what I was born for. My fingers know what to do, and they do it. And I just, I've never heard someone so comfortable in their gifts in all my life. This is what I know I'm born for. What an amazing thing. Now, you, you and I might not have the same confidence in the gifts that we've been given, and, and the way we are to use those, but you can be equally as certain in God that we are born to do the things that he has put before us to do because it's in him. The certainty is his, not, not yours. It's nice if we know, but we often don't know what our real gifts are, but we are created to do good works and... And we're created in him to do them. Now there's this sense in this passage of the master and the apprentice. That he trains, he equips, and then he asks you to do it. There's a real lovely picture in it. That we're created in him to do it. And he's prepared beforehand for us to do. And I I remember when I started working with my dad. He just had this kind of training program in his head worked out for me and how I could just learn the industry and, and learn my craft and and he just led me through those things and then suddenly he'd give me a task to do and guess what I knew how to do it because of the training I'd received 
God is doing that with us. What a privilege. You know what's um, also profound about that is that um, not only does he, you know, is he the master craftsman hmm. created everything, Yes. but um, he gives us choice in, in amongst that. Absolutely. And he, at some level, it's like, okay, you don't want to do it today, but I've still got this lesson for you. And, you know, it gives you time. Absolutely. Like in your time. Hmm. And so sometimes it can be a quick lesson. Sometimes it isn't. Absolutely. But um, in the end, you know, I yeah. think if you, if you stay committed to your faith, hmm. then um, sometimes you can look back and think, damn, I should have done that faster. <laughs> but the point is I, that God had enough faith in me yeah. to, or faith not faith in me but faith he he allowed me yep. to, to learn it at my pace exactly right that's amazing that's grace. right that's the right yeah he demonstrates grace he, he doesn't beat you up um, doesn't beat you up for it and, and I was going to raise a very similar point um, when we look at these verses we see I, I take two exhortations from from verse 10 from the encouragement that we should walk in them. Now, that encourages me both to take the opportunities that he's given us and also to make them an integral part of my walk. Mm. So to take the opportunities and also to make it an integral part of my walk, not just an accidental thing that might happen, um, but I've been given these gifts, I've been given these talents, use them, make it an integral part of my life. Now... I wanted to ask you guys, if works are so integral to us, if we are in fact created to do them, what does it mean to us if we don't do them? It's our loss. It's our loss. Yeah. Disobedience. Yeah, it's disobedience. Yeah. And and what comes of that? I think a level of despair. Yeah, despair comes. Yeah. Right, so here we are. We're already suffering with depression, right? And and so and so we're we're given these opportunities and we don't take them. And and then further despair can come in. Yeah. And often that despair will guide us to perform that good work um, out of guilt, out of despair. Yep. And it was exactly the time that we should have ministered that um, that good work. Yes. Because some, sometimes the route to, uh, to doing those good works, God has also planned that out. Yeah. And in the process of it, there's a humbling and um, a sort of depression and anxiety yeah. uh, from which we learn. Yeah. And in the end, the good work is done. Yeah. And the route that it's taken, sometimes we think, well, I'm sure that's not what God planned, but maybe it is. Hmm. Yes. Uh, have any of you had the experience where you, where you have done something with completely the wrong attitude and, and and it's just like Jesus at the end of it just spoke to your heart and said um, you would have enjoyed that so much more if you had done that with the right attitude I, I'm glad you did do that act of service for that person that needed it but you could have benefited from it instead you didn't and 
and so you can learn for next time. There's no condemnation. There's just a, a learning for next time. You know. Um, so walking in the works that he's uh, set before us. Now, as I say, I go back to the survey. 50% of Christians reporting that they have an extra level of hope. They have a joy in seeing God working through them. So that automatically says, okay, but if so, if I'm not responding to take up the opportunities to serve, then that joy is going to be missing. It's going to be absent. Now, this is a real battle for us with depression, okay, because the reasons not to serve are forever going to be in our face. Now, it's a battleground. It's another one of these battlegrounds. God will say to me, Chris, I know how you feel, but it's important that you keep teaching my word. I want you to keep doing it because I will work through you to bless others and you will be blessed as you serve me. And I know that in my heart because I love studying God's word. I really love it. I, I, I learn every time and I'm filled with joy as I do it. So I really love it. So God will be saying that to me and yet Satan will be saying to me, Chris, you're really tired. You've got to look after yourself. You know, if, if you teach and you don't have joy, you're just being a hypocrite. Don't do it. You know, how can you do it? Now, my experience confirms the truth that God will speak through me. He will speak through his word, even if it comes off the tongue of a reprobate like me. Right, he honours himself and blesses me and blesses others in a knowledge of him. So I'm not saying we should be happy about being a hypocrite. We can grow, but you're not a hypocrite once you confess it, right? <laughs> once you say it out loud, you're not a hypocrite anymore. Okay, it's about just being honest. And so by... By keeping on, keeping on, by using the gifts you have in season and out, you will have the constancy of the joy of seeing God work through you. And it's a bit like that lie of isolation that we saw, you know, where Satan will say, ah, you know, stay at home. You know, you know, just protect yourself. Okay, but then you don't get the, the encouragement. Then you don't hear the message that would have encouraged you if you were at church. Then you don't have the friends patting you on the back or praying for you or, you know, and, and you find the isolation's a lie. Well, it's another lie that says, protect yourself, stop serving. <laughs> you know, you're too tired, you can't do it, don't do it. God says, keep going, keep going, and in that you will have joy. Now, I was really blessed... Um, uh, I went, uh, it's probably two years ago now, to, uh, to Derek, who you'll know, Derek's father's funeral. And I gathered, the church was packed. And, uh, and I, you, I really started to get a picture of the man and the family and the, who were just grounded in God's word and just um, their ministry was adopting kids. And taking in foster kids, and they had had more than a hundred foster kids over the years, and they had adopted several of them. And at about the age, 
late 70s or 80, um, husband and wife decided that they needed to adopt another child. And one of the kids went to Derek's dad and said, Dad, aren't you tired? Why are you doing this? <laughs> Derek's dad responded, Yes, I am tired, but there is no expiry date on God's calling. And I just thought, you're joking. You know, like, that's just wonderful, isn't it? That's just wonderful. And there they, you know, there was, there was probably fifty people in the in the, you know, in the church there who had been through their home and had received love in their home, and received the gospel in the home. You know, just in season and out. I was so blessed by that uh, testimony. So I just had this little quip that as long as God is faithful to us, we should respond faithfully to him. Now, I don't need to confess all of my sins to you, but I've been... <coughs> there's been plenty. I've, I've stopped serving God at times because I was overwhelmed. Sometimes I've sulked myself into stopping. That God wasn't doing with my life what I thought he should be doing. I didn't like it, and I, and I sulked, and I did what I did as a kid. I'm taking my bat and ball, and I'm going home. I'm not going to do it anymore, Lord. Who loses out? I lost out. I didn't have the joy of serving him. Now, there was another thing, though, that I did because of depression. And it, and it comes in the guise of false humility. Depression says to you, probably says you don't have any gifts at all, right? So just, just not, not just are you weak, but you're completely hopeless, right? Depression says that. Um, but you can say to yourself, I have no gifts. I have no talents. And we've got to be careful when we do that because A, we're disagreeing with Scripture that says he's given us all gifts and talents. But we're also giving ourselves an excuse not to use those gifts and talents. And for me, in the back of my head was, if I don't identify it, I don't have to use it. Right? If I don't identify it, I don't have to use it. And that was just a self-protective measure. If I say, if I, if I say um, uh, that uh, I can teach the Word of God, it kind of means I should. Right? It kind of means that all my Fridays, Friday nights might suddenly be taken up in Bible study. It might mean all sorts of commitments that, in, that my flesh is saying, don't do it, don't do it, right? And so you go, oh, oh no, no, I can't do it. I, I'm, I don't know what my gifts are. So I'm just outing myself for that so that you guys can out yourself, yourself for that, right? If, if that's in you, if you say to yourself, oh, I don't know what I'm good at, I bet you do. I bet you do know what you're good at. I bet you do know what you've got and what you can use, whether it be a, uh, a heart for service or uh, some time on your hands where you can serve others or an encouraging word or, or, you know, all sorts of ways that you can bless other people and you know you can do it. And you know that you might be extra good at doing it. 
And if you were to ask a few other people, they would be delighted to tell you what you're good at. So don't do it to yourself and say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not good at anything, just to give yourself an out. Okay, as we, as we touched on, God isn't um, blowing his stack over the fact that we're um, unfaithful. Uh, he knows us intimately and he loves us. And he works with us, as Paul said, to, to bring us to a point of faithfulness back to him. He just continues to love us. Okay, all this to say God has uniquely made you and he's given you unique jobs to do. Okay, so, and we find joy as we do them. And we, you can see the quotes up there from people who have had depression. You know, with him life would have no meaning or purpose. Through this experience I know he is able to use me in different ways. Oh, sorry, have I skipped to another page? Oh, it's really tiny for you? Oh. It's, oh, it's, it's, tiny for, it's tiny for me when I take off my glasses. Um, okay, should have issued a magnifying glass with each handout. Um, okay, but uh, through this experience I know he is able to use me in different way for others. I believe his word has the power to change my mind and his Holy Spirit has been working in and through me. You know, God uses people with depression. Okay, now one of the things that came out in the survey, I, I touched on uh, in, a, in a previous session, that there was this correlation between people who shared, who carefully shared with friends and family that they had difficulties with mental health. Um, those people generally had greater levels of hope and, uh, and sources of joy in their walk because of their sharing but there was as we talked about there's a group of people who because of their occupations find it really hard to share their this frailty okay so but what came through in the survey was that people who are in professions where there is a clear link to christian service these people didn't need to share their struggles with depression so much they they gained a great deal of hope because they knew god was using them in their occupation okay now it points out something that's interesting about us but so uh, christian school teachers for example ministers they had this aspect of hope and of joy because they could see and understand that god was using them now it points out to me that really big thing in our life that Christians have always struggled with, and that is that there's this super class of Christians called ministers and missionaries, and then there's all of us. And those people, they can have hope because they know that God is using them, but we, we're just going about doing our normal, boring workplace stuff, okay? That's not the case at all. You're born again. You've been raised from death to life united with Christ, your life is sacred. It is set apart for him, for his glory, for you to do the works that he has prepared beforehand for you to do. And that's as precious for you as you go about making bread or vacuuming floors or buying print as it is for the person out sharing the gospel with the world. We're all one body. 
and we all have our part to play in that body. And if we don't play our little part, then the whole thing breaks down. Um, that was a great thing in uh, in Douglas Adams' book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, where they um, they loaded up all of humanity onto these great big spaceships to go and colonise another planet. You remember that? And they ran out of space. So, uh, sorry, space. They ran out of room inside the the ship. So the people they decided to leave behind were the the telephone hygienists or something like that. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, a, a generation later, everyone died on the planet because of dirty phones, right? So it's just this beautiful, this beautiful thing, right? We're all one body. If we don't do our bit in the body, the body struggles. Okay, so we do, we do our part. But we particularly have been given this task or this pleasure of being able to comfort others with the comfort that God has given us. Now, most of the people I know with depression, I don't want to say all, but most of the people I know tend to have a greater sympathy towards other people. They tend to have a sensitivity towards other people. They've been softened by their depression. Their pride has been broken. Okay? And they tend to have empathy for suffering in other people. Now... If depression can work that in us, that's a good thing, right? If we gain a broken and contrite spirit, which God does not despise, if we can gain that through our suffering, then we are becoming more like Jesus. And it's a truism, I believe, that continued prosperity leads to a pride in humanity and continued kicking of goals in our own lives can lead to individual pride now and depression comes against that and so we can be softened by it and that's a really important part of god redeeming the damage that's been done in our lives the hurts that we've got the depression that we've got the anxieties that we've got he can redeem all of that by giving us a sensitivity for other people to give them the comfort that we have received. So let's read 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. If someone could read that for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our, in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Okay, so he keeps using the word comfort, yep. right? Now, in as with all areas of our service, it starts with God, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforted us. We saw the role of the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. And he comforts us in our tribulation. Now, one of the reasons why he does that and redeems those tribulations is so that we can comfort those who are in trouble. And we comfort them with the comfort that we've been given. Right? So it's a really beautiful picture of, of God having uh, given us peace. 
in the midst of our trials. He's comforted us, and so we are able to comfort others who go through trials as well. So it's one of the very profound things that people with depression can step into. We know the comfort of God, and we can give it to other people. And I love the fact that the more we suffer, the more consolation abounds. It's this bottomless pot of mercy and grace that God has. The more you need, the more he will give. But I think it's true, often we only see that in retrospect, right? We look back and we go, oh, God was so faithful to me. He was really good. He walked with me through it and I I didn't see it at the time. I was panicking. I was in despair, but he just gave me enough hope to get through every day and and keep going. So God does that. He he keeps giving to us according to our need. So 2 Corinthians 7, 4 says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation, says Paul. <laughs> I love Paul. Joyful in tribulation, but it's because he's filled with comfort that he can have joy in tribulation. It's a receiving from God that enables, okay, this is, this is a bad thing that's happening to me, but I can still focus on the God who loves me because he's comforted me. I can have peace in the midst of that. It's a trust, and I think it really becomes faith when we start knowing that God will do that. He will do that in the future for us. Not just looking back and saying, yeah, he was faithful in the past, but in the midst of tribulation, what a statement of faith it is to say, I am receiving comfort and I have exceeding joy in the midst of my tribulation because of what God is doing. Now, when it comes to comforting others, I just did want to give an encouragement and a note of caution. What came through in the survey was that people with depression, we are all complex animals, right? And we're all highly unique. And it would be fair to say that whilst um, honesty and love are required, um, a, a care and a humility with dealing with people is very much required. Because some responded to a gentle rebuke when necessary, others were hypersensitive to judgment. Some just want a listening ear, others want advice. Um, some want a bit of space, others want someone to take them shopping. So people are at all different places, but I think the person with depression or who has had depression, experienced a depression, is uniquely qualified to walk that minefield, to understand with sensitivity how people might be feeling, to get the signals back off. <laughs> you know, now's not the time to be challenging them. Um, uh, and so I was, I was really touched recently by a story, and I, and I might have shared it, so forgive me if I've shared it previously, but um, they were talking about a last who was severely critically burned as a child 
She had this horrendous um, experience when she was very young and she spent all of her adolescent years in Westmead Children's Hospital, right? But this year she is completing her HSC and she plans to work as a nurse and work on the children's burns ward at Westmead Children's Hospital. And I just thought, well, there's no one more uniquely qualified to help those children than the person who's walked that journey. And we are the same if we have experienced depression. Now, God is sovereign in in this regard, but uh, with regards to the sinfulness of this world... And the fallen nature of this world, depression is a part of the human condition, right? It has been for forever, almost, right? It's, it's, but it's epidemic now. And God needs Christians who have walked that journey to minister to others. Not only Christians who have depression, but non-Christians who need hope. We've received hope, we've received comfort, and we can comfort others as they need comfort. So that's a very, that's a very good thing, is it not? But I also want to impress upon you that depression has given you, it's given me valuable insights into life and the character of God that others do not understand quite as well. Our self-doubt gives us confidence in Christ. Our self-hatred finds comfort in the love of Christ. Our weakness finds strength in Christ. Our faithlessness is overwhelmed by God's faithfulness. Our desire for isolation is frustrated by the God who tracks us down. Our uselessness is redeemed by God using us. His joy pierces through our darkest moments. His hope transcends our despair truly God's consolation to us to us has abounded and we understand firsthand the greatness of God's loving kindness in the way in a way that many haven't understood it and don't know it we who have needed more grace have received more grace as Jesus said we have a lot to share Now, I'm going to go to an Old Testament passage here just to to highlight this story. We won't read it. I'll try to to skip through it. But I asked the question a couple of weeks ago, do you think that depression could be the modern world's leprosy? There is a stigma about it. There is discrimination that comes with it. There is isolation. There is sometimes poverty. I've turned down promotions because of my depression. I didn't think I could do it because I didn't think I could take on the extra burden while I was struggling with my own soul, right? I've not gone for jobs that I thought if I was healthy I could do, right? So there's, there becomes a, 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 a poverty that comes with that. There's, there's judgment, there's broken relationships, you know, and, and if we if we want to know about discrimination, uh, you try to get a um, a health policy or a life or a trauma insurance policy, and you tell them that you have got a history of of depression. You'll find out quickly whether or not you'll find out quickly that the insurance companies won't treat you 
very kindly. I think my insurance policy is now $500 a month. That's a lot, right? And it might be because I'm fat, but it's also because I'm depressed, okay? So, um, no, okay, so... Uh, Okay, but okay, so it's a, it's a lot of money. I've got to talk to someone about that. But um, <laughs> one day I'll uh, talk to someone about that. Okay, so let's go to two Kings seven, and and I'll try to summarise it as we go through it. So there's this there's this amazing famine that's come upon the land, and um, the the king of Syria Ben Hadad is besieging Samaria, right, the northern kingdom. And the famine is now so bad that the people locked up inside the city are eating their own children. Right? What a concept indeed. It is so bad. By the way, I often think about tribulation, you know, and what we think about tribulation. There are people in the history of the world, there are people in the world right now that know tribulations that we cannot dream of right what we think of as tribulation in the west is um is 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 not so bad so anyway that's an aside it's a really bad time okay in samaria now the army of the syrians is camped just down the road from the city and the people are struggling in the city to survive Now, in the gate of the city are four lepers. And they are doing what lepers do, completely isolated from everybody else, running their own race, all their families, everyone separated from them, but suffering everywhere. And finally, these four guys say to themselves, we might as well go and hand ourselves over to the Syrians and hope for mercy. If they kill us, well, we're going to die anyway, right? Life cannot get worse than it is right now. I think that's a fairly good summary. And life can't get worse. When they're killing their own children inside, you're completely separated by your leprosy and you've got the enemy on the other side. We shall only die, they say. Right. So they, they go off to the Syrian camp and they find it empty because God has put such a fright into the people that they've all run away. They, they were hearing the sound of chariots. The people, the warriors, were hearing the sound of chariots, though there were none. And they ran and they left everything. So these four, <laughs> these four lepers go down the road, planning on handing themselves in, hoping for a bite of bread, or the sword, one or the other, just as good as each other at that point. And everyone's gone. What's left? Bountiful food, gold, silver, possessions everywhere. Everything they could possibly want, right? They've won the lottery of life. So they feed themselves. They have a little feast between the four of them, right? <laughs> They're tucking in. And then, and then in verse 9 of 2 Kings 7... One says to the other, we are not doing the right thing, right? This day is a day of good news and we remain silent, right? All of our family are, are, are still inside the city um, dying of starvation. So they went back 
And, of course, the, the initial reaction when they got back to the city, they went back and said, the Syrian army has fled, and the people at first didn't really believe them. They thought it was a setup, right, that the Syrians were just uh, trapping them, going to uh, place a trap uh, and ambush them as they came out. Um, but they sent out some emissaries and they found, sure enough, the camp is empty, and then everyone just goes out and feasts on the food that the Syrian army had left. Okay. So verse 15, And they went um, after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king, then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. Now, I just want to point out a few things. Maybe you're already drawing some parallels with depression. In the end, surrender to the enemy was not necessary. God had made a way of escape. This, the enemy had nicked, nicked off, right? They had gone. God had frightened them and they had gone. So the lepers went out and found food and they made merry. And then they were able to go back and tell God's people where food was to be found. And I just want to make the, the profound point that it was the lepers who were the first to enjoy God's bounty. It was the lepers who were the first to be cured of their hunger. They were blessed first. Those who had the least were the ones who were blessed first. And they were able to take the good news back to their own people and share the good news and save them too. Now all the people inside the city, they would have just kept on hacking each other to death. The lepers, who had nothing more to live for, went out and experienced God's provision firsthand. And so I just want to say to you that if you have an experience of depression, you also know what it is to receive the outrageous love of God. We know his mercy and provision. We've experienced it firsthand. And how can we remain silent? This world needs the good news and they need to know our good saviour, our good Lord. Now, depression and anxiety are at an epidemic in our uh, levels in our society and our society doesn't even know God, let alone know that he exists. But we are those, as Psalm 23 says, we are those for whom God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemy. We receive of God's blessing every day. And you have this to share with people. And I think that's a really incredible thing. We have experienced the abundance of God's grace and so we need to share it, speak of it, declare it. The church needs to hear it. The church needs it. That we have experienced God's grace. We have experienced God's faithfulness. How? Well, I was a leper and I was fed. 
Now, we don't need to place our burdens upon other people to explain that we have received God's help. Okay, we don't need to, to give our whole life story, but the, but the church needs to know. Now, one of the things for me was reading the survey results, and we've talked about some of the, the really touching stories in the survey of, of people, the triggers for people's depression, but what came through so powerfully was that people's despair was being met by love and hope in Christ. These people who are feeling isolated and vulnerable were passionate about seeking God in, in spirit and in truth. They were digging deeper. Now, that doesn't mean that they're, they're up before the sun reading the Bible every day. It means their spirit, their soul is coming before God and crying out to him and just going into intimacy and, get, and abiding, in, abiding in Jesus and, and dwelling with him and just seeking to go deeper and deeper. And, and these people, account after account, it just completely defied logic if you think about depression in the world whereas you looked at these people with depression in the church who were just seeking God and going deeper and deeper into God finding rich satisfaction in him and I just saw the beauty of that the suffering against God's provision healing and redemption peace in the storms a future and a hope despite the torment of what they were going through And, I, and part of the reason for this course was that I just wanted to give those people a voice. I just found myself thinking the, pe- the church needs to know, <laughs> needs to know there are Christians in their midst who have this incredibly rich relationship with Jesus. The church needs to be encouraged by that. Now we get a bit, we get overwhelmed by how bad we feel, but if we share the hope that we have. If we share what we've received, the church will be blessed enormously. And with that 2 Kings uh, 7 passage in mind, we are just beggars showing other beggars where to find food. That's our job. We are just beggars showing other beggars where to find food. It's the same with our salvation. We are nothing without Christ. We're everything with him. Okay, 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. So there's this special encouragement to those who suffer to keep, to commit their souls to him in doing good. And maybe it's because we are particularly tempted to give up that we get this um, special encouragement to commit ourselves to doing it because it's good for us. His plans are good for us. He wants to bless us in it. And so we see there's this real joy in um, following Christ and in serving him. Now, as we go into 2 Corinthians 6, 4 to 10, it's a passage you'll know well. It's a passage sometimes we laugh at we get a little giggle over over Paul and his passion and and just how how single-minded 
He was. Yes. Yes, it is. And these are all depressed people. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And um, people who need comfort seek comfort in God. They have this instinct within them. There is a creator, and I'm going to call out to him. You know, the old expression, yeah, sorry? Uh, the, old, the old expression, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. You know, when you're being shot at, um, you know, it has a way of focusing your mind on on um, on God and the afterlife. What do you want to say? Just a quick share from a, a Christian client that had had profound depression. Had every has everything you can imagine, but it's incredibly stressful um, trauma. Yep. She got to a point where she confessed her plan of suicide right. to me, and and it was a future suicide. So once all this is sorted, once all that's sorted, I'm going to Switzerland and I'm going to be in Asia. And I, I, I sat in there and going, bored? <laughs> <laughs> For you. You know, and, and, and it, it was dumb. I was dumbfounded. So a couple weeks later, she came back and she was a completely different person. And she said that in the midst of all that, she was between waking and sleeping, and God started bringing out verses in her that showed, like, she had a real struggle with her mom, and started showing the mother heart of God, like how not just a father's heart, he's also got the, the wings of the eagle and the yep. kind of comforter and all that jazz. And she just was pouring all this out about how God just brought all these verses to her mind, and it was completely different. And, and I thought. Wow, when did that happen? And it was after she confessed yep. this incredibly scary thing that, you know, you hear and you go, okay, I don't want to say to that other than pray for you, you know. And I just thought that was an amazing example to me <laughs> of the confess, you're, no, you're, you're humble, and, she, and he just started speaking to her and it changed her. And it was a Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so in the, um, in the 2 Corinthians passage, we just want to end on the, on the concept that joy is found in living for Christ. We're tempted not to live for him. We're, we're tempted not to do the works that are, that are placed before us, but he's, he's created us to do them and he's prepared us to do them and, and, he's, um, and, uh, and he's prepared these specific things for us to do so we can walk in, in, those, um, in those 
good works. Now, in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 4-10, we see this list of suffering that Paul has gone through. And, and I want to say that some of those things are things that we are common to man or common to, to many of us. And I used to think once again, ah, you know, that if you're being a super Christian, if you're an apostle, I used to read Paul's sufferings and I go, well, okay, well, he can, he can rejoice in Christ because he is serving Christ. And I find that's a terrible judgment on my own life as, as well as everybody else's. You and I are children of Christ. We're children of God. We're born again. The life we now live is live for him. The, the, the trash in our life is washed away. Only the good remains in some spiritual amazing way. Okay, this transaction has been done. So, so we too can take comfort in in Paul talking about his tribulations, but some of these things, are tribulations, needs, distresses, tumults, labours, sleeplessness. Right? I know many of those things. Okay, so they're common to all of us. But in verse 10 it says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. There is this peace and this comfort that he is receiving from God. And we can receive the same. Truly, the authors of the Bible do understand our frailties because they could see the frailties in themselves as well and we can be we can be comforted now we co-labor with Christ we get to enjoy this thing that the rest of the world doesn't get to enjoy we get a front row seat to see God working through us and that's an amazing privilege and the fact that he's doing it through us who might not be feeling the best who might be really struggling yet he still uses us is a is an extra joy in our lives the principle of god being everything that we offer people his word being what we're offering just comes through again and again and again and not that we are offering god's love that's what we're offering people we're offering god's word we're offering a relationship and an intimacy with God that, that people don't know. And it is God that makes the difference in people's lives. I'm sure Ben Weekly has the, has the privilege of, of people saying, I really got something out of this morning's message. And then they proceed to say something that was completely not in the message. <laughs> but that's what God was talking to them about as they were hearing. Right, and that's a really important thing. And I, over the over my time of teaching, I I come at it now and just say, Lord, I can't do anything other than speak your word, show love, but speak your word, and you, your Holy Spirit, is going to work with people individually, and they are going to get stuff that I have no control over. No planning on my behalf could ever achieve it. And you are going to do it. And if you don't do it, then we're all wasting our time. Basically, I'm wasting my time. 
they're wasting their time. But if you are going to turn up, God, and talk to people individually, yeah, our time couldn't be better spent. Right? So, so these is just a, such a great, such a great principle that. So what what do you fundamentally do when you're teaching the Bible or when you're serving people in love? What you're doing is you're demonstrating Christ to them. You're you're sharing God's word with them. And then what God does is entirely of his own volition. He's entirely his own work for what that person needs right here, right now. And he gives the increase. Okay, so we we know that, that verse in 1 Corinthians there. This doesn't mean that our efforts are meaningless. God chooses to use us, right? Which is just stunning as we went in the beginning. And it's a miracle that he uses us. And and it's beautiful that he uses us because he's got so many ways to do it. But he really wants us to to join in the joy of working with him and being united with Christ. And of course, as we do that, we feel compelled we are given the strength to keep serving, to, to keep receiving the joy um, from serving him. In the Acts 20 passage, we'll, and we're going to finish with this, we just see how Paul looked upon his life. He knows what's ahead. He's had these prophecies over his life that he's going to end in chains He's going to end up in Rome. He's going to end up dead. Right? But Paul says that I may... I'll read the whole passage. Uh, Acts 20, 22 to 24. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, all this bad stuff awaited him, but he knew that joy was ahead of him. And why did he know that joy was ahead of him? Because he was fulfilling the ministry of which he had received from Jesus to do. Right? You and I have that same privilege and that same joy. We know our little bit of the body, that we are peculiarly... Um, yeah, I, I did that on purpose. Sure. Right. Um, I'm still getting over benevolent from last week. See, I practised it a lot. <laughs> I said Ben Elephant last week. Um, no, okay, so you and I have been given our bit of the body to fulfil. And whilst we do that, when we do that, we will also receive joy in serving Jesus. And we can, therefore, even look through the future and know tribulations might lie ahead. Right? We've got, barring Jesus coming back, We've all got some years ahead of us, most likely. In which case, we are going to have tribulations ahead of us. And we can have joy in those tribulations, in part because we keep doing 
the ministry that he's called us to do. That might change over the years from one form of service to another to another. But if we keep serving, we will understand what it is to walk with our Lord and we will be blessed by doing that. So it's my hope uh, that you will uh, reflect upon your life as I have on mine and the ministry that God has given you, the good works that he has prepared for you to walk in, and that you will seek the joy of serving him and watching him work through you. So next week, we are going to finish our series of studies on concentrating, by concentrating on the tools for continually improving our mental health and overcoming depression. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you choose to engage us in your plans, that you have good plans for us and you've got good works for us to do. We thank you that it starts with you, that you've filled us with your love, you've filled us with your strength, you've given us joy and peace and uh, through uh, an abundance we can share you with the world and we can, we can do and take our part in the body of Christ that you've given us to do. We thank you for Jesus who holds us tightly in his hand. We thank you for his spilt blood for us. We thank you that you've washed us clean, that all of the trash in our life, all of our sin, all of our frailty has been nailed to the cross with Jesus and that we have died with him by faith and we've been risen again with him and Lord we thank you for the resurrection life we thank you that our eternity has already begun we look forward to heaven of course but we look forward to our fellowship and unity with you uh, in in the years uh, that are ahead of us Lord we commit ourselves to you and into your service in Jesus name Amen